0: Hello and welcome to the 123rd episode of self work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We've lived here, gosh, about 26, seven years, something like that. And I've been in practice since 1993. I told that to someone the other day who had come to interview me for the newspaper. She was a young woman and she got this look in her eyes and I looked at her and I said, you weren't born then, were you? She said, no. Oh, goodness. That's so funny. But I started podcasting a couple of years ago because I wanted to reach people, not just in my practice. I wanted to, what I say, extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be interested in psychological and emotional issues, maybe even be in therapy, but also to those who have been recently diagnosed with some kind of mental illness and want more information or want a psychologist's perspective and then of course i'm also interested in reaching any of you who might not have even considered ever talking to a therapist but who would be interested enough to listen to a podcast we have enough prejudice and stigma to go around for a lifetime against mental illness and i want to do my part to help people understand that there's nothing weak or fragile about asking for help i'm a therapist because i got good therapy And one of the things that pleases me the very most is when I get either an email or a written review saying, I went to therapy because I listened to your podcast. That absolutely delights me. Today, we're going to be talking about your work life and perfectionism. Are you scared of losing your edge? You know, I've had the pleasure of working with several people who've come to me due to my writing about Perfectly Hidden Depression So maybe that's why I've become more conscious of perfectionism in the workplace, but also I think my own eyes have been opened more to the dangers of perfectionism because I've been doing research on it, and I've woven more of that work into my clinical practice. So today we're going to be talking about the fear of losing your edge, the edge that you believe keeps you on your toes, keeps you doing better, doing more, doing, doing, doing when it's really perfectionism that's the culprit. Certain kinds of perfectionism can be more dangerous than others, and there's a huge difference between being perfectionistic and striving for excellence. In episode 85, I talk about the six hurdles that you have to get over to deal with perfectionism, so you might want to go back there to listen. But today's focus is on how perfectionism affects you at work, In fact, I was asked to write an article for our local business journal and contacted a handful of people I treated for perfectionism, and I have their quotes to offer you. I asked them to just tell me in their own words how perfectionism had affected their work life, their professional life. And it's amazing what they said about their own journeys that led them away from perfectionism and toward self-awareness and self-acceptance. I'm going to be talking about perfectly hidden depression as well a little bit. And so for those of you who might be new to that term or that concept, there's several episodes beginning with episodes three and four on what I term perfectly hidden depression. And that's a topic actually that I'm writing a book about or have almost written the book about. And that will be launching in early November of this year. Perfectly hidden depression is basically when perfectionism Very severe, significant perfectionism can hide or mask depression. Then I found an interesting article that I'm going to go over briefly about what employers can have in mind if you have perfectionists working for you. It's based on an article by Susanna Mittermeier. And she's a psychologist who's written about happiness and is the author of Pragmatic Psychology. I just thought it was interesting because some of you may know perfectionists or have them working for you. And I thought it might be interesting to hear about that. Our listener email today is from someone who was thanking me for the most recent podcast I did on vulnerability, where I talked openly about my own panic attacks. I actually loved what he had to say, so I thought I'd share. So thanks for being here. Let's settle back in and talk a little bit about work life and perfectionism. Dan Harris, who is one of the anchors on ABC's Good Morning America, was on live network TV several years ago when he experienced a major panic attack. He quickly tossed the broadcast range to the hosts and tried to regain his composure off-camera. But when the cameras turned back to him, his anxiety was still very obvious. I've actually seen the tape of this, and maybe it takes one to know one since I have panic attacks myself, but I could certainly tell that something horrible was wrong. Did he immediately seek treatment? Mm -mm, Not at first. He was sure that he'd lose his edge, and I quote, I knew if I admitted the truth that I had just had a panic attack, it would expose me as a fraud, someone who had no business anchoring the news. He felt that if he revealed his vulnerability, he was blatantly afraid of the potential repercussions for the career he'd built tirelessly for a decade. It hadn't been easy. He'd often been told he didn't have the looks or the voice to be a TV anchor, although he was an amazing war correspondent. Yet he ended using that painful experience to help guide him to learn meditation and to develop entirely different way of life, which he talks about eloquently and with great humor in his book, 10% Happier. I actually love the subtitle of this book. The book is 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, A True Story. This really is a great book. I'll have the link to it in the show notes. Now, perhaps, obviously, if your perfectionism hasn't gone overboard, it's likely to help you in the workplace. If you strive to do more, perform better, increase your productivity, you're more likely to get promoted, earn more, be seen as a leader, find joy in a job well done. But far too often, perfectionism is accompanied by a constant, nagging, critical voice that will find fault with even the most successful of efforts. And it can create vicious problems at work. Procrastination, not taking risks, highly increased stress, problems with coworkers who you either judge as not working hard enough or who you obsess about as competition. You'll overload yourself with responsibility, denying your own limits. And you may easily isolate, not taking the time to ask for help, or seek a mentorship that would help guide you. You may suffer, and your company may suffer, not because you're not trying hard enough, but that your unflagging efforts don't take into account your own emotional needs. And you stay silent about your own struggle. You can't fathom revealing vulnerability. But depression lies underneath your perfect-looking job and perfect-looking life that lonely silence can be a death sentence in the most severe cases. In their recent book, it's got kind of a scientific name, Perfectionism, A Relational Approach to Conceptualization, Assessment, and Treatment, researchers Flett, Hewitt, and Mikhail divide perfectionism into three groups, self-oriented, other-oriented, and socially prescribed. You can identify with all three, just two, or primarily one. Let's talk about the differences. Self-oriented is expecting yourself to be perfect. It comes from inside of you. Other-oriented is expecting others to be perfect. And what I've noticed about people is often they expect from others what they expect from themselves. But the third one is really the most dangerous as far as suicidality is concerned and depression. Socially prescribed is when you feel immense pressure due to your perception or belief that others expect you to be perfect. Basically, the better I do, the better I'm expected to do. This dynamic can create a tremendous sense of hopelessness, which is a major factor in suicidal behavior. It's like you're on a treadmill that never, never stops. And again, the better you do, the more you think you need to do. This link between what these researchers call socially prescribed perfectionism and serious depression is one that's vital for each of us and our culture to recognize. The overall rate of suicide is the highest it's been since 1986, rising 24% from 1999 to 2014, showing highly dramatic increases in both women and men aged 45 to 64. But every generation's numbers, except the most elderly, rose substantially. These figures are found over and over again by all kinds of organizations, by the way. So this isn't just one organization skewing the views. The good news is that destructive perfectionism can be addressed. You don't have to lose your edge to become more self-aware. And you can learn to express hidden emotions And identify irrational beliefs that are driving you incessantly forward. And of course, that leads me to my concept of perfectly hidden depression. That perfectionism is fueled by shoulds and musts and have tos rather than through choice. Again, if you're interested in the concept of perfectly hidden depression, you can start with episode three, go to episode four. Episode 60 is another. They're all over the place. So all you have to do is look for them. But I told you in the intro that I was going to include some quotes from some of my patients that I've worked with that came in, not necessarily because they already knew about perfectly hidden depression. A couple of them had become very, very depressed and didn't know what to call it. And then one definitely came in because she said, I've read your work. I hadn't started the podcast yet. She said, I've read your work on perfectly hidden depression and that's me. So, here are some of their quotes. This is from Jason. The perfectionism I've been challenged with my entire life led to professional and personal crisis. Interestingly, in my professional life, my perfectionism manifested itself through inaction because of the crippling fear of making a mistake. By accepting that I'm valuable as I am with my natural strengths and challenges, I was able to make a career change at age 47 and have been thriving in a new role. It's ironic that my work product is at its most effective as I've relinquished the constant urge to be perfect. Last week, I even found myself coaching one of my direct reports on the value of accepting our abilities, acknowledging our challenges, and addressing mistakes. So you can see that he's finding so much more joy in his openness and in his vulnerability. This one's from Vanessa. The more I worked on opening up personally, especially to my husband, but to friends as well, I realized that I needed to let go of some bad work habits as well. I'd spend hours in meetings over the phone, and I began to recognize that I always had to know what I was about to say and make sure my supervisor knew that I'd already solved the problem he was addressing. I had to have a ready answer for everything. The pressure felt enormous. As I began to let go of my personal perfectionism, I risked professionally being less vigilant, trusting instead in my own worth and competence rather than having to prove it all the time. I became a much better listener and actually realized that I felt much more competent when I hung up the phone, and rather than being exhausted by the conversation, I was motivated and enthusiastic. It sounds like what she's discovered is that being okay with being vulnerable with not knowing allowed her to be very much in the moment, in the present, and not feel as if she had to prove her worth, but that she knew her worth. And here's the last one. This is from Chase. When I began the intense work of combing through the emotional poverty of my childhood, it was only then that I realized how much shame had played a factor in my life. I'd been told by my dad I'd never be anything special, and I was going to prove him wrong. But I could see how my being really sarcastic and irritable was a way of keeping people away before they rejected me. That played a huge part in two marriages failing. I didn't want them to leave me, so I stayed detached from them. And I needed to look perfect. So when I began to feel, really feel, not just be able to talk about my emotions, but express them, it was amazing. And then he says, Where I was most amazed was at work. I'd had the fear that by being more open, I'd lose control. I'd be seen as indecisive or wishy-washy. Now people are asking me to be on my team and I'm getting feedback about how appreciated others feel and thus their own productivity has increased immensely. I remember working with Chase and he talked about how he knew that he had been a dictatorial leader and really put the same kind of pressure on others that he put on himself And always expected their very best. But when he began trying to see their potential and build their potential and be there as a person for them, they wanted to work with him. And it's so interesting and ironic in many ways, but understandable that everyone was happier and thus more productive. So very quickly, let's turn this around What if you know someone who's perfectionistic and you're either just their friend or you're working with them or they're working for you? Susanna Mittermeier had an article on what employers can do for their perfectionistic employees, but I think this is true of just knowing that you have a perfectionistic friend or you're married to someone or you are related to someone who's a perfectionist. I will definitely have a, a link to this article in the show notes, but she reminds us to acknowledge the person, not just the performance. Perfectionism is a taught habit based on the need to gain approval or validation for things done. Acknowledgement is about recognizing the contribution of people for who they are, not just by what they're able to do. So you really want to give feedback to that employee or that friend or that loved one that you value them for who they are, not just for what they accomplish. She says gratitude is one of the greatest antidotes for perfectionism. When you embody gratitude, there can exist no judgment. You ask yourself, what can I be or do today to create an environment of gratitude in this relationship? I guess what she's saying is that if you let someone know that you're grateful for what they have to offer, then you help them calm their own pressure, calm their own intensity. The third thing she says is to be aware of what different people can hear or receive. The point she's making here is that some people can receive acknowledgement or gratitude quite freely and feel warmed by it. Other people can't hear it quite as well. And perfectionists are that type of person. They don't know how to receive a compliment and simply say, thank you. So you may need to recognize that they have trouble with that. Or if you're the perfectionist, that you have trouble with that. Then the last thing she says is to have allowance for perfectionism. People who are perfectionistic, or you yourself, if you're perfectionistic, tend to take a little more time to do things. You want it done right, and so you take the time to do that. So you don't necessarily take it personally, that they want to do it for themselves. One of my best friends told me one time that she didn't understand why I never helped my husband pack our car. In fact, she thought I was a little selfish or lazy for not doing so. And then she tried to help him one time. And she realized that he's extremely perfectionistic when it comes to packing a car. And he doesn't want your help. In fact, he'll say, no thanks, got this, good, I'm fine. And he'll pack it the way he wants to pack it. So she told me, now I understand. Now I get it. So those are hopefully four things for you to keep in mind if either you're a perfectionist or you're trying to love someone or work with someone who's perfectionistic. I hope the personal stories of my patients who were very kind to offer themselves to us today, I hope those stories were meaningful to you. I have to smile as I read them because I know how hard these people worked in order to become more vulnerable and to learn how to express their emotions and it's very gratifying to hear how well they're doing. I will hope that for you as well.. Our listener email today, I have to admit, maybe a little bit <laughs> egotistical for me, because his words describe the podcast in a way that makes me feel very, very good. So excuse a moment of ego, (laughs) if you don't mind, because I hope this is the way all of you feel. He says, Hi, Dr. M. Your podcast have been really useful to me. Thank you. I listen to each one, even if the subject is not directly relevant to me, because I like to follow your thought process. And I'm sure that a lot of the time I can even predict some of the things you might say. I'm sure that's true. Although he says he can't do my job. But you know what? Just because I've got three letters after my name doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't do what I do. But this is what he says that was so cool to me. I think that you might well be pretty pleased that you're teaching us all to fish rather than fishing for us. Anyway, none of this is why I'm writing. I'm writing to say how powerful your last episode was for me because you again talked about your own struggle with panic attacks. For me, by declaring your own challenges, it's like turning the volume onto maximum. Everything you then say seems so much louder, and I hear every word so clearly. You are helping all of us, and I sincerely hope and expect that your book is going to fly. (laughs) Thank you. I smiled so big when I got this email, and this is how I responded. Thank you for such kind words. When I began podcasting, I didn't have a clue how much it would come to mean to me. Hearing from people like you from all over the world has been more meaningful than I could possibly imagine. And yes, I try to model for those who either read or listen to my work that I'm trudging along life with everyone else, trying to manage my own mental issues, and meditation has helped a lot, as has time. I absolutely love your comment that I'm helping others to fish for themselves. And then I say, I'll try not to let my ego get a hold of that one, but I think I did. (laughs) But it means a lot. Take good care, warmly, me. I had this discussion with someone who was talking to me the other day about an article they'd read that was about breaking up with your therapist, that when it's time to leave therapy, you need to leave. And I told him, I said, you know, I say to my patients all the time, it's my job to do myself out of a job. So... If I'm teaching you in any way to fish, no one, and I'm still learning how to fish myself, but two, I'm so glad to hear that and to be in that role in your life. There's so many ways that you can get in touch with me. You can Come on to my website at DrMargaretRutherford.com and become a subscriber there. You'll get a weekly newsletter with my podcasts and blog posts that are weekly. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at com, and I will answer your email. That is confidential. No one sees that email but me, and I'll do my best to answer you in a timely manner. Thank you so much for the ratings and reviews you've left here on iTunes, Stitcher, Pod being wherever you listen, that means so much to me and gives me information that is vital because I want to know who you are, why you listen, what you like, what you wish there were more of. Someone said in a comment that she wishes that I used more examples, that she likes the time, but that I talked a little bit more about examples. So that's one of the reasons why I included in this episode what my patients had said. So I do listen, and I do mold or craft what I do here due to your suggestions. You can come over on Instagram. I started a series over there called What I've Learned as a Therapist, and I'm just loving doing it. I'm not a photographer, but I like that aspect of Instagram, that it's not only words but pictures. So that's Instagram.com slash Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And then I have a new Facebook group that's closed, and you can come over there, Facebook.com slash groups, slash self-work we're almost at 600 members and they're from all over the world i'd love for you to be a part of that as well and i'm on that page fairly regularly and i leave a journal prompt every week and all kinds of things going on over there again that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work it's mostly women but you men feel free to come on love to have you thanks again for listening take very good care i'm dr margaret And this has been Self Work.